Welcome to Nature Revisited, the podcast. Thank you for joining me. My name is Stefan Van Norden, and on this episode, we are featuring RUMAP, an outdoor afro. RUMAP is a designer, a collaborator, entrepreneur, and author. Rue founded the organization Outdoor Afro in 2009 as a place where Black people and nature meet. She is also the author of the book Nature Swagger, Stories and Visions of Black Joy in the Outdoors. Rue joins me from her home in the Bay Area to talk about her amazing journey and why it is important that we share our experiences in relationship with nature with others. So, Rue, thank you so much for joining me on Nature Revisited today. I have been looking forward to learning more about you and Outdoor Afro, the organization you started, and your book, Nature Swagger. Let's start in Oakland, California, which is the childhood home of Jack London. I believe you were raised there and that you still live there. Is that where you first heard your call of the wild? Oh, that's a beautiful metaphor. The respect and historical legacy of Jack London is deeply felt throughout Oakland and memorialized at Jack London Square, where I spent many of my formative years and adult years with family and friends enjoying that waterfront area. And yes, I did live in Oakland all my young adulthood from the time I was born until I was 18. I moved all around the Bay Area and have landed now in the North Bay. I just really appreciate the legacy left in me of what Oakland's all about. It's diversity of people, of landscapes, and and just how it was easy to immerse myself in so many different types of culture, cultures as well as nature experiences. So how important was nature to you growing up? I would say that In these times we live in now, like nature is a call out, something that I feel is more of an intentional pursuit. Given that I grew up in the 70s and 80s, we were outside playing all the time. So being outside, exploring our natural surroundings, we had this really cool undeveloped area that we called the dead end in our neighborhood. It was full of all kinds of mystery and adventure and creativity. We built tree houses. We formed walking paths. We were able to oversee a regional park that had horse trails and were able to see those horses. We were able to see deer and other wildlife. This area in particular where I lived in the Oakland Hills, it was this really beautiful intersection between urban and wild. And I think that's something people don't recognize about Oakland, when they imagine what it is in their imagination, we think about an urban place. Oakland has such an incredible amount of wild spaces and natural landscapes that 
are just minutes away from where most people live. And I was fortunate to live in an area that was heavily wooded, not as developed or dense. And so the connection to being in nature was as simple as going outside to play with my friends. And what were some of the other activities you participated in? So my mom was a seamstress and she had a sewing room that was from floor to ceiling on three sides of fabrics and notions, notions meaning like buttons and all the zippers and all the things you need to really finish a garment. And she had an ironing board that was permanently up and installed and a sewing table and sewing machine. And it was almost like walking into fabric store and she was there day in and day out making clothing for people in the community, very much involved with the church and was president of the sewing circle there. And I just took a natural interest in it because as a child, she was there during the day. When I would come home from school, she'd be at her sewing machine. So it was really easy to pick up having so many materials at my disposal to experiment with. And the very first thing that I made on my own was a life-size doll. Seven years old was the first time that I actually was trusted to get on the machine and sew something by machine. And it was a life-size doll. Just a couple years after that, going into the fifth grade, I was able to make the majority of my school clothes. Later in high school, I was making my prom dresses and even helping make prom dresses for others. And it evolved from there with getting more involved with the fashion and design community. And then also at the same time, you know, I really love cooking. And and so it was a really good time to not only be creative, but also convert that creative spirit into something that was really useful in my life. Around the time I was learning to sew and hands-on with life, I started a, a journal in a little Hello Kitty diary. It was a natural to really start chronicling my my experiences and particularly my experiences in nature. So what did you see, and maybe you still do see, that made you want to encourage more people, particularly the African-American community, to spend more time in nature? I think it would be very important to remind people that in addition to my time in in Oakland, as a child in nature, we had a family ranch about a, about 100 miles north of Oakland, and that's where I was able to go deeper in my nature experiences with being on a hobby ranch where we had cows and pigs and a nearby creek. We would invite tons of family over for holidays and other milestone opportunities. There would just be this immersion of community, nature, and wonder and exploration that brought in me this comfort. I sought to recreate or be a part of experiences like that through the Girl Scouts, later through becoming an Outward Bound student. I found that once I got away from the city and away from the people who I already knew, that there was a whole world of folks out there who were not engaged as maybe they'd once been maybe a couple of generations ago and were missing out. They were missing out on all of this beauty, all of this connection, all of this sense of belonging to something bigger. I wanted to foster the opportunity for that to happen for more people, and particularly for the Black community. 
So when did you first get the idea for Outdoor Afro? I got the idea for Outdoor Afro, like, really in a moment of revelation. I was at this milestone moment where I completed a long-neglected undergraduate degree. I had three young children who I was raising at the same time as, as a divorced mother. I was thinking about, like, what is it that I really want to do next? And I had a mentor just say, you know, if time and money were not an issue, Rue, what would you do? And, you know, it was just like that one question that became the spark that lit up everything that I had been doing and practicing in plain sight that I felt was true and needed to be amplified in my life in a real way. And I just flippantly said, well, I'd probably start a website to reconnect more Black people to the outdoors. After that, it was this clear focus, like this navigational north. Within two weeks, I, like, picked up a Google template, and you could just grab one and start writing. And I was off to the races, writing about my experience growing up in the outdoors, making connections with others, what it meant to me, and and what the vision I had for more people to have those experiences. The momentum around that conversation in 2009 that was really at the dawn of social media was fairly cutting edge, was reflecting back to people a narrative that they weren't seeing or hearing about. And that was a vision of Black people in the outdoors as strong, beautiful, and free. Magazines that highlighted outdoor experiences at that time and before really weren't telling the story of Black people as active participants with agency in those stories. And I knew from my experience growing up that there was just a whole chunk of that American story that was missing. So you've already kind of formulated it, but what what is the mission The mission of Outdoor Afro is to celebrate and inspire Black connections and leadership in the outdoors. And what I mean by celebrate and inspire, it it really is about acknowledging what's already there. And then connection refers back to the relationships that I know are fostered. And leadership refers to not just structured leadership that you might find in an outdoor recreation program, although that is one part of what Outdoor Afro grew into being able to develop. It's also about the leadership in the outdoors of everyday people and restoring that sense of leadership and confidence. My role models and the people who influenced me the, the most, my pursuits in the outdoors, they were people who were right in my own family. It was it was my parents, it was the uncles and aunties and people in my sphere of influence. For me, it's been about like, hey, let's remember who we are. Let's remember that anybody can be a leader in the outdoors. We all have people in our lives, no matter what your hue, who you can influence to get connected to the outdoors. Outdoor experiences are the kind of thing that you don't need to be an expert to bring someone along. If you just know a little bit more, you can bring someone along with you with that little bit more of knowledge. And so really trying to help more people see their own agency and opportunity to get more people connected to something that helps them to care more for others as well as care for our planet. 
So what are some of the programs that you have and the ways that those programs are fulfilling your mission? Outdoor Afro began and I believe continues to be this kind of song of my heart, a song of my own journey of becoming. I have been thankful to be able to share that opportunity with more people who have had similar experiences. The stories are long of people who have found communities or other people, friendships that they may not have had before. That has really been a joy to see happen just naturally because nature allows us the space to do that. And then the other piece is the programmatic expression of Outdoor Afro that that began really as a startup exploration of how I could take all the things that I was learning about getting people into the outdoors and share that model with others. And in 2012 to 2013, I, you know, pulled together like about a dozen people and I was like, hey, let's make an outdoor Afro leadership team. Let me share with you everything that I've learned. And then you take that learning back to your communities and help more people in your community get into the outdoors. So they're able to help not only amplify the mission, but also be catalysts for the kind of connection and learning that has always been at the heart of Outdoor Afro. And then on, on top of that, in 2019, we decided, because we heard many, many stories that Black children were drowning at seven times the rate of white children in the same age group, this is not only a public health crisis, we had this generational loss of knowing how to swim that has persisted and has given way to these really alarming statistics. The other important piece of this, that if people don't know how to swim, that really cuts you off from a whole bunch of opportunities to be connected to water. You're not going to ease into a tippy kayak. You're not going to put a pole in a lake. And you're not going to care about plastic in the ocean if your relationship with water is one that is filled with fear or even terror. And so we decided back in 2019 that we were going to teach every child in our sphere of influence how to swim, what I call babies in the water, (laughs) so that we can usher in a new generation of possibility to learn how to not only swim, but to also save lives and care for our planet in ways that I feel we all should have the opportunity to do. So would you like to share any of the other programs? I look in your website, you have an amazing amount of programs and things going on. From 2009 to 2012, I wrote probably 300 blogs that were all about the new narrative. And and one of the things that has been clear to me is that we're not just about the transactional program. We're about changing the narrative. And in order to do that is a combination of, you know, amplifying those stories that we support through our funding, but also finding those stories in the community that we can elevate and shine a bright light on, given that we have the platform to be able to do that. Because a lot of outdoor experiences have been happening for a long time, but people haven't either known about them or they haven't been happening at scale. And so we've been able to grow into this dual purpose of 
curating opportunities that we amplify, but also identifying things that have been happening historically that people might not have known about. One of the most exciting things that I'm happy to share all the time is about the ways that Black people were really deliberate and persistent throughout history to find ways to connect with nature. There were places in the face of Jim Crow and exclusion from being able to access parks and public lands that there were Black people who banded together their resources and built places like the Lincoln Hills in Colorado, which was a, a lodge that allowed people to rest and recreate. There were places like Lake Ivanhoe and Oaks Bluff and Martha's Vineyard, which is still a very popular destination for the Black community. And these are places where working class people were going to recreate. So I feel that it's important that people know that one, Outdoor Afro did not invent Black people in the outdoors, that it's been happening, that there's been, in spite of the interruptions in our history in the United States, people still valued it enough to pursue it and invest in it. And it really opens the door for the possibilities we can have for our future. So it is that can-do spirit. Make a way out of no way. We're going we're gonna to connect with nature no matter what is really you know, what sits at the heart of Outdoor Afro and whose shoulders I stand on when I think about what's possible for more people and what we can contribute to you know, a connectivity benefit for people and planet, but also what it can also mean for our economies. So how can people find out more about the work you are doing in Outdoor Afro? Yeah, OutdoorAfro.org is where you can find all of our blogs, our programs, how you can make a donation, how you could even become a volunteer leader with Outdoor Afro. We open that invitation up to people every year, usually around the end of the year, and we train and develop people to have the skills to get people outside in their own communities. We did a poll before starting the Outdoor Afro Volunteer Network in 2012, asking people, like, if you want to get outside, like, what's in your way? And there were you know, really concrete reasons why people weren't getting out. They didn't know where to go, what to do. They didn't feel safe. They didn't know about wildlife or about welcoming the biggest reason was time. Like people just didn't quite know how much time they needed to be able to have meaningful outdoor experiences. And so we train volunteers with those values and barriers in mind so that people can not only get out with us, which is great when they do, but we eventually want people to get out without us. So in 2022, you published Nature Swagger, an important book of wonderful stories and visions of Black joy in the outdoors. What inspired you to make this book, and were you surprised by all the amazing stories you were able to collect? I would say that, you know, a book is something I've wanted to do for a while. I was pretty overwhelmed by the idea of doing it. You know, as I mentioned, I'd been raising my three kids. I'd been nurturing a fledgling organization that felt like a fourth kid. So I didn't really conceptualize what it would take to write a book, but I knew I had a book on my heart. In 2020, 
I just sat down to begin writing my story and collecting the memory of all the different experiences I'd had since starting Outdoor Afro and then beyond. And what took shape quickly was the need to not make it about me, but to amplify the voices of all the people I had gotten to know over the last decade. And so most of the people, I would say almost all except maybe one or two, or people I personally knew, who I'd broken bread with, who I'd expeditions with, who were a part of our Outdoor Afro Volunteer Network, and so on. To me, it was kind of its own symbolic homecoming of bringing all of these different voices and all of their experiences, because being Black in the United States is not a monolith. There's all these regional differences and educational diversity and interest diversity that I wanted to elevate so that people could see themselves. And the book is filled with photographs. So it's not just the stories, but it's also the pictures. It's the inspiration you might get of seeing someone doing something that you'd never seen someone who looks like you doing. These are all folks who I knew, I respected, and whose voices I wanted to have a bigger platform to be heard and memorialized forever. So I'm wondering if you might share your standing invitation from the book. So my dad was a, he, he was a black man from the South with the most can-do way of living I've ever witnessed in my life. But he also equally had a very compelling way of helping people feel welcomed and really embodying the spirit of hospitality. When people would come and visit our family ranch, he would say to everybody when they would be about to depart, you know, you, you, you have a standing invitation now. And it was just his Southern drawl. It was the sweetest way of basically saying, once you've been invited, you're always welcome. And that's exactly what I saw him do time and time again. And that's the kind of welcoming that really a part of the heart of Outdoor Afro is helping more people. You know, there's 40 million black people in the United States. And there's, there's a huge frontier, if you will, out there of helping people to find that standing invitation to get reconnected to the outdoors for their healing and, quite frankly, for all of our healing and especially for our healing across perceived differences. And you're right. Nature swagger is filled with wonderful stories. And I'm wondering if you might just share a few highlights from the book that touched you in a special way. Well, it's a tough one, you know, yeah. they're, all, they're all, you know, yeah. it's like, it's like, they're all, they're all my children in the sense that it's hard to elevate one over the other. What I really appreciate just from a thematic point of view is that we didn't divide the book on, okay, here's the hiking section, here's the biking section, here's the this or the that. And I really wanted to highlight stories that were beyond outdoor recreation to ones that were also about being in an intimate relationship with the outdoors, whether it be gardening or hunting. And we don't see stories like that. You know, there's also a long history of the Black community farming and getting their own food from the land. And so I'm really proud of how that is a really important part of the book, but also what makes it distinct 
So we're going to move forward a little bit. That more recently, you have discovered or rediscovered the connection between hunting and the natural world. What led you to that reconnection, and how is hunting part of the Black heritage of the outdoors? You know, my dad was a hunter, as was my mom, actually. And I grew up eating all kinds of food. We ate venison, quail, pheasant. We fished a lot, so we had fresh fish. I caught my first crappie at like four years old. Unfortunately, that tradition, it died with my parents and uncles. I was really bereft of not being able to eat the variety of foods, to be as intimately involved with the life cycle of the animals that we eat and being responsible in a clear way. It was, a, it was something that I would yearned to get back involved with and decided that it was a part of the story that needed to be told about the Black experience. And as I got connected to my family roots, that this was also a part of our story. And it's also a source of pride in our community that I think is worth remembering and, and for those who are willing to learn how to do again. And so I've, as a side project and through individual mentoring, have helped people learn how to hunt. What people have come to appreciate more and more is the important contribution to conservation that hunting represents to manage populations that would otherwise be at risk of disease. Hunting provides a way of helping those populations stay healthy. So the seasonality and the ability to hunt is a really wonderful way to be in touch with conservation. But also, it really is phenomenal food, too. I feel like our taste buds have been desensitized to what things actually taste like. If you're only eating poultry from the supermarket, you're going to get what comes from a feedlot. And what I really have loved about hunting is how much it's helped me to appreciate wildlife. And duck hunting happens to be my favorite activity, it's a very different experience to take that duck that was living wild in the marsh just hours before and be able to break it down and clean it at home. And when you look at its insides, you see the elements of the marsh. I mean, it's really, it is a full circle experience. And then you bring that, you bring that experience in those stories to the table, and it's cooked in a way that is respectful and honors that life in a, in a very, a very different way than than what you can experience from something that you you buy off the shelf. The mindset of hunters is so much about respect, and it starts with safety. You know, respecting tool you use, whether it's a bow or firearm or the hook at the end of the line. It, it is so filled with respect and education. And people who do hunt, they, they aim to be good ambassadors of hunting because it, it preserves the opportunity, obviously, but it also has a really strong conservation ethic. And I, I have never met a hunter who's not also a conservationist. Like my dad was absolutely a conservationist, but he would have never necessarily have known about the 
kind of conservation icons that we have. He was a conservationist in his own right in that he was living in the kind of seasonality and harmony and balance around use and extraction that lent itself to a healthy ecosystem on his ranch. You know, as a hunter, because it's so high touch and intimate and consequential, you, you, you can't ignore the conservation value of it. And you want to be a part of that. So finally, what is some advice that you might give, not only to the African-American community, but to everyone, on how to connect better with nature? Well, you know, I think it starts off with really understanding that nature is not someplace over there, that it is something that is at hand and available for everyone. And it's as simple as recognizing the nature in you. We're breathing air that was once rain. We are influenced by the lunar cycle with bodies made up of a majority of water. We are incredibly connected to the seasons, and more so if we raise our consciousness around it. We can look out of our kitchen windows and notice the bird species in our backyards. We can grow vegetables on our front porch in containers. There is something for everyone. And then you can take what you know about nature and you can share it with other people and thereby you become a leader in nature. Anyone can be a leader in nature. Think about what you can teach someone. It might be children in your sphere of influence. You know, pass that knowledge on. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with RUMAP and that you take the time to visit the website OutdoorAfro.com and read her book, Nature Swagger. I hope you will share Nature Revisited with family, friends, and colleagues and that you will follow us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and our website, NordenProductions.com. The music for Nature Revisited is Tim Buckley, Buzz and Fly. Nature Revisited is produced by Stefan Van Norden and Charles Gagan, and I hope you will join us for our next edition of Nature Revisited. And in the meantime, remember, we are Nature.